This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Why is it so important to God that you realize the origin or the source of what you have? Because it's a matter of ownership. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hey there, welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name's Aaron. In this episode, Pastor Jeff talks to us about our wealth and reminds us who really owns everything. Jesus wasn't afraid to address the topic of money and neither should we. This is just one of the messages in the series called Broke, which is helping us find hope when we're broke, whether that's physically, financially, spiritually, or some other way. Let's join Pastor Jeff as he's preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Okay, what would you do if you did have a million dollars? What would you do? Or maybe we asked the question like we did last week. What would you do if you were rich? Now, for those of you who were here last week, our eyes were open, right? We discovered that, wait a minute, we are the rich ones. As a matter of fact, just as a side note before I get started here, I got to tell you, it was downright humorous watching the transition of the look on your faces as I developed last week's message. When I first started out talking about, you know, the rich people have all these advantages, you're back there, you're kind of like crossing your arms thinking, yeah, and now they get their own Bible verses that are applicable specifically to them, and you're thinking, yeah, and then I start describing rich people, and I saw the transition move from yeah to, ooh, that sounds like me, and then toward the end when you knew it was you, and you go, man, that's, I've been set up, that's cold. It was, I didn't say anything, but inside I was laughing at all of you. I just want you to know. Because we discovered last week that we are the rich ones. That's what we learned in a word. We're the ones Jesus was talking about when he used the word rich. And I talked about last week that experts tell us that we could feed and nourish the entire world, those who are in need, for about $20 billion a year. And that's how much Americans spend on ice cream in a 12-month period. So our eyes were open to the central truth, the life-altering truth, that we are the rich ones. Now take a look at the sticky notes all around the room. Because later on, I'm going to ask you to do something. You've got a sticky note in your bulletin. These are the sticky notes of things that we wrote in six services last weekend of how God has blessed us. Now, I want you to think for a moment how you would contrast and compare that with that lady on the mat back in Zimbabwe when I asked her, what's the best thing you know? She said, the best thing I know is Jesus Christ. And I said, why? And she said, because he gives me everything I need. Now, you imagine her definition of need And all these blessings that God has given to us. You say, Jeff, I thought guilt was not what you're interested in. It's not. I just want us to be able to have our eyes open and and admit before God and everybody else that we in America, we in this room, have been blessed with more than we need. And I know it's going to take a while to convince you, so we got to practice. I'm going to say it, and then I want us all to say it together. I have been blessed with more than I need. I have been blessed with more than I need. That's all I'm after in the first part of this series. Because here's the reality. I want to get this right in my life. Everything I say to you today 
It's not a message where I say, all right, I got this all right now. I want you guys to be like me. Let me just confess, open confession to you right now. This is the weakest part of my faith. It's the area of my life that's the weakest in being a Christ follower. I think the reason is, is because we live in a world where it's so easy to get caught up in this cultural vortex that just sucks us into this whole mentality of it's all about me and I'm entitled to everything and more than I have right now. And we start defining needs as wants and desires rather than what we actually need in life. You're guilty, I'm guilty. We're all in this together, but I want to change, man. I'm 44 years old. Death is imminent. <laughs> I'm going to die. Believe me, it's hit me recently. I will die one day. You don't think about that when you're young. And I want to get this right. I want to get this right in my life before I go. And I want my children to see that I've gotten it right. And that's why last week we learned, number one, that we have been greatly blessed. That's what God wants from us, just to acknowledge that you and I have more than we need. Water, food, shelter, and our lack of contentment is usually based on desires and wants, not a lack of needs. We have the needs and they're met, but we want more. But now I want to go to the second part of this, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. And this next thing, I believe, if you'll pay attention and go with me on this journey, I believe it can be earth-shattering once your eyes are opened a little further. Here's what he says. Command those who are rich in this present world to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And immediately, two questions emerge. Here's the first. Let's play along now. Who gave you what you have, according to this verse? God. In fact, God has richly provided. Second question, why did he provide it? For our enjoyment. Now, let me give you a couple examples. I could list a long list of things, but take food. Why didn't God, in this human scenario, just give us something to sustain us so that we could just exert the energy from the energy that's poured in. Why does he make food? Why, why didn't he make food bland like he did in most of Europe? Why does, he, why does he make food tasty? And we have ice cream and chocolate and all the good things that go with it. Why not just make food bland just to give us energy? But instead he makes it tasty and wonderful. It's a great experience. Now I could list a lot of other things, but just one is take procreation. Now you think about what God thought about that. Because there are children in the room, I won't say much more. But procreation just could have been an activity, procreate, but he, it, well, enough said. <laughs> He's gone above and beyond the call of duty in that. And he has no duty. We're not entitled to anything. But that brings us to number two. He wants us to realize that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything. Now, you know that, right? You know nothing is owed to you. You didn't do something in eternity past to put yourself in a position where God had to give you anything. That everything you have is because of the good and gracious hand of God. He owes you. You're entitled to nothing. That's why we have to be careful of two temptations that are present in the lives of rich people. Both found in this passage. Temptation number one is this. He says, let the rich not be arrogant. Now, the Greek word is tufao. Great word, tufao. If you're spelling it out in your notes, T-U-P-H-O-O. Transliterated. It means, and this gave me such a headache this past week, but thanks to our new executive pastor, I had time to do a little Greek word study, so I did. I couldn't find it. I looked up arrogant, not there. I looked up boastful, not there. I looked up pride. And I noticed the root of this word is very different than most words with which I'm familiar. And it's because this is an old word. And the word, although it's translated arrogant so that you and I can understand it, 
Its original meaning is this, to wrap in smoke. What is that? Well, if you wrap something in smoke, it would be easily shooed away, right? It wouldn't be a very strong wrapping paper if it was wrapped in smoke. Just by the wave of the hand, it's gone. It's God's way of saying that if you're arrogant as a rich man, that argument I can just dissolve right away. Now, to kind of illustrate this, when I first went to Africa and went to Zimbabwe, and my wife was there introducing me to people, she introduced me to the first Shona-speaking person, and I just began to communicate, hey, how are you? I'm Jeff Vines. I'm from East Tennessee. And Robin said, Jeff, he doesn't speak English. What did I do? Talk louder and slower. <laughs> my name is, right, right? And then the, the more I was there and began to meet English-speaking Shona people there in Zimbabwe, I noticed they made a big deal out of my clothing. They made a big deal. I had more than one pair of shoes. Uh, they loved my Laker jersey. I had a Laker jersey and Laker shorts because I was a big James Worthy fan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was a huge Laker fan that age. And so they were just enamored with all this. And I found myself something really, really nasty happening to me, something really evil. The longer I was there, the more arrogant I became. Because I thought, well, look at what I have. It's obviously because I'm smarter and more clever than all you people. That's what happens. I just said it. But that's what happens to every one of us. Something really bad happens. We begin to look around at what we've accumulated, and we begin to look down on those people who don't have as much as we do. We don't say it, but it's very near the surface. Poor so-and-so, they're just not as gifted as me. They're not as clever as I am. So they'll be resigned to a life of poverty. That's why we men, when we get a new car, middle age, we get a new car, we think, hey, we have a great job. We want to show the world that we have money. And what do we do? We buy this car, we roll down the windows, and we turn up the stereo. And we take two buttons and unbutton them on our shirt so they can see our chest hair. And we go down, we're driving down the road, and there's this sense of, of arrogance about us. Look, I've arrived. I'm, a, I'm smart. I'm clever. I have great business acumen. See, I make a lot of money. I can afford this sports car. We may never say it out loud, but the attitude is I'm smart, I'm clever, I'm the man, I'm the great provider. But I want you to think about something for a moment. What is the reality how clever are we really? Think, think just for a moment. Most people in the rest of the world, if they knew what you and I made, remember, if you make 34000 or more, you're in the top 4% of the world's income. If you make $45,000 or more, you're in the top 1%. 99% of the people in the world are poorer than you. If they knew what we earned, they'd say, how on earth could you make that much money and feel any financial pressure? You must not be that smart. You must not know how to use your money. That's what they'd say because rich people often feel more financial stress than poor people. Did you know that? I'll prove it to you. Well, kind of. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I bet if I did, if I asked how many of you are feeling financial stress, most of you would raise your hands, proving again that rich people feel more financial stress than poor people because we're the rich ones. Listen, 78% of the BMWs on the roads in LA County are leased. How smart can we really be? The truth is there are a lot of people in this world that are a lot smarter than we are who live in poverty. In fact, what they are able to accomplish with far less stuff is nothing short of brilliant. That is the major problem with blessed people. Rich people often begin to believe that they deserve what they have, that because they're good, they're smart, they're clever, or they have this great business acumen. So we pound our chest and we say, look at what we have done with our own two hands. And God says, this argument is wrapped in smoke. 
God says, this argument is wrapped in smoke. Why? It's easily dissolved. Why? Because everything you have has its origin in God. Who gave you your brain? Who gave you your hands and your feet and your intellect? Who gave you the ability to make a living? It's not because you were owed anything. Who decided how clever you would be? Who decided what gifts you would have? You didn't. You had nothing to do with that. God did. Some of us are artistic. Some of us are athletic. Some of us are intellectual. Some of us are a little bit of all three. There are variations of every one of them, but you didn't decide. God did. That's why you have to be very careful of developing a sense of entitlement when you say, why don't I have the gifts this person has? Because in reality, everything you have is a gift of grace. It's not because you deserve even what you have. You have no sense of entitlement. It all is decided by God. So God wants you to be pleased with what you have and think, man, I, I am owed nothing. I'm entitled to nothing, yet I have this. Rather than look to somebody else and say, I want what they have. That, the Bible talks about, is an attitude or a spirit of discontent. You don't deserve anything. You're not entitled to anything. What you have is all a plus because God decided to give it to you. And God is not very pleased when you think or when I think I'm the origin or the source of my abilities and wealth. And so from time to time, he gives a little warning in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability, the ability to produce wealth. Why is it so important to God that you realize the origin or the source of what you have? Because it's a matter of ownership. Let me ask this question. To whom does everything belong? Let me give you a little help. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Well, that pretty much sums it up right there. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So he even owns you. Why does he want us to know this? There's a major difference between the two attitudes that exist in our world and probably in this room. There's the one attitude that says, all that I have because I have managed to accumulate it with my wisdom and my clever business acumen and my ability in my own two hands, all that I have belongs to me. It's mine to do with as I please. And the other attitude that says, no, everything originates from God. I'm able to work because God gave me this brain. God gave me this clever business acumen. God gave me everything. So everything that I have is entrusted to me by God because he owns everything and I'm going to be held accountable for the way I use it. After I was here for about six weeks, Dane Johnson, now I know I give Dane a hard time about his golf game. The reality is, I really love that guy. Anybody who knows him really loves him uh, most of the time. And uh, after about six weeks, uh, I was out in the parking lot. It was on a Saturday night. And uh, Dane kind of grabbed me by the arm. And I knew this wasn't one of those times he was joking. Because, you know, if you're around him anytime, he can get pretty serious pretty quickly. And he looked me in the eye. And this was, you know, this was, like I said, I'd been here for about six weeks, I think, maybe a little longer. And there was a good sense around the place. And I think Dane, and he loves this place. And he, he feels, he's almost like the anchor, the grandfather that wants to make things, make sure things go well, make sure things go right. And he looked me in the eye and he said, Jeff, I'll follow you anywhere you lead. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I'm on your team. I'll do whatever you ask as long as you never forget who you ain't. You ain't God.
and whatever God does, he's the origin of the source. He's just using you as his instrument. And as long as you never forget that, I'll be right here. Well, I want to apply that message because Dane Johnson is exactly right. This money that you have in your pocket and in your life, it's not yours. It's God's. You're just using it because he's entrusted it to you. And you and I are going to be held accountable for the way we use it. That's temptation number one, that we'll become so arrogant and we'll think it belongs to us. We do with it what we want and nothing originates from God. Here's the second thing. All these blessings, we'll start to look around and we'll think, man, it's all for me. It's for my use. Mine, mine, mine. It's like one of my favorite cartoons that I gave to Don Frazier, our children's pastor, of a little girl who's seated at a news desk and the anchorman says, have you ever wondered why the world was created? We'll be back after this. A two-year-old will tell us it's all for her. And some of us never grow up mentally from a two-year-old. We still think that everything we have originates from us. It's all mine, mine, mine. God says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In other words, it's not yours. It all comes from God, so he expects you to do two things, to share it and to be generous with it. And the reality is when Jesus walked the earth, he said this time and time again, Luke chapter 12, verse 48, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We preachers have a way of saying it. We say, to whom much is given, much is required. So now listen, as I get near the end. Okay, God, I grew up in America. This is my home. You have richly blessed me with more than I need. I know you're not after guilt. You're just after acknowledgement. Yes, Lord, I know you have blessed me with more than I need. And yes, Lord, I know that everything ultimately comes from you and you're entrusting me with it and I'm going to be held accountable. So God, what is it that you want me to do? It's the third point. Do good with the things I have given you then. Do good with the things I've given you. First Timothy 6 again, verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. Now I want you to notice something. He doesn't say command them to do good. Sorry. <laughs> he does say, command them to do good. What he doesn't say, whew, it's the fourth time. What he doesn't say, he doesn't command them to be good. No, he says do good. Now, be good is something he says throughout the rest of the New Testament. But here he says, I want them to do good. Now, this is not average good, folks. This is rich people good in a way that only rich people can do. So he's expecting more from us, the rich people, than average good, than helping a little old lady across the street, or giving a homeless person our loose change, or mowing the neighbor's lawn, or giving your old clothes to the Salvation Army. That's all good, but that's poor people good. He says, I want you to be rich in good deeds, to be extravagant in doing good, to be reckless at doing good, to leverage the extra God has blessed you with, because it all comes from him, for the sake of the kingdom of God and for the sake of the world in a way that only rich people can do. Why? Because rich people have extra time and extra money. They don't feel like they have extra time and extra money, but they really do. They've just lost sight of what's important. Only 8% of the world can take Saturday and Sunday off. 92% of the world live from day to day. Over $1 billion on $1 or less a day. The poor people, it's unfathomable to them that we would get paid for not working on Saturday or Sunday. Or we get paid, rather, for not working and taking a vacation or a holiday. In their minds, that's for the rich only, and we are the rich. In fact, pay attention to this statement. Memorize it. 
The less extra time a person has, the more percentage of that time they give to serving other people. Did you know that? The less extra time a person has, the more percentage of that time they give to serving other people. In other words, the more wealth you accumulate, the less you're willing to serve. And you know why that's true? Because us, we, you and me, I'm guilty too, I'm the chief of all sinners, you and I have other options that compete with doing good, being rich in good deeds. For instance, we can afford to go to Dodger games and have Dodger dogs. Or if we're good people, we go to Angels games and have Angels dogs. <laughs> because we can afford those things. I just lost half my audience. But the other half really loves me right now. Rich people can use airline points to travel. We can go to our beach house or our second home or our getaway up in the mountains. We can drive over to Las Vegas and gamble. We can go to Palm Springs and play golf, guilty as charged. We can go to the beach. Rich people have so much extra time, but the problem is when they have that extra time, they think about how they can use it and fill it with personal stuff. God says the problem is our thinking, your thinking, my thinking, it's all wrong. We say, how can we fill up our extra time with that which would bring us individual personal pleasure or enjoyment or pleasurable satisfaction? God says, you have extra time because I want you to ask yourself the question, how is it that I can leverage my time and resources to go about doing good deeds in a way that only rich people can do them? Now, you think about this. Tell me if I'm not, uh, well, tell me, well, never mind, just listen. You go to a movie. Man, going to a movie is expensive in, in, uh, in, on the West Coast. Wow. You, I mean, if you take my family to the movie, I'm out 40 to 50 bucks. And then if you get the meal deal, which is a big fat lie, there's no deal in two large Cokes and a popcorn for 16 bucks. I mean, I mean I'm telling you, that meal deal, I mean, I'm looking for the holster and a bandana. Stick them up. That's what I'm looking for. But we go to the movie and we pay that. And they know we'll pay it because they know we want it. And this is America. We get and we're entitled to whatever we want. And we'll walk out of that movie and we'll say, you know, that was all right. No, I probably wouldn't go to it again. My friends told me it was good. It wasn't that great. Or we'll go out to a restaurant and we'll pay good money, 50 to 100 bucks for our family. And we'll say, you know, food was all right. It wasn't that great. I might come back. Probably not. Or we'll take a uh, a road trip and spend the whole day of our extra time and money just seeing some sight and think, yeah, that was all right. Wasn't that great? We'll go to a hotel. Kids loved it. You know, it was pretty good, but I probably wouldn't do that again. And sometimes we'll even say, what a total waste of time. Well, here's what I want to promise you. But you spend half a day serving somebody else and you take a short-term mission trip to Zimbabwe, Africa, and you build a church, you build a school, you dig a well, and you see those little African boys and girls look up at you in gratitude. Now they're going to be able to live. Or you go help a single mom rebuild her home. And you watch her kids right here in the San Gabriel Valley look up and smile at you and thank you in gratitude. Here's what I'll promise you. You will never come home and say that was a total waste of time. And you will tell your story thousands of times. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to put their hope in wealth, but to put their hope in God. The more we make, the more we depend on our money for our security and hope. When you're poor, you can depend on nothing but God. 
That's why I think the revivals are happening throughout Africa and South America and other places. They're already depending on something else. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.